So this weekend, we are going to turn our attention to the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 10. It is the sixth book in, uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, if you've got a Bible, I do invite you to turn there. And as you're doing so, why don't we just take a moment and uh, quiet our hearts and our minds and ask God that he would speak to us personally, individually, and that we could apply whatever it is he wants to say to us, to our everyday real life. We're grateful, O oh God, for the scriptures. Now would you open our, our hearts and our minds to receive from you? Would you help us to become a bit more like you? That we would live our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. So every once in a while, I will say to one of my friends, I've got a big ask. I've got some friends that I'm in good relationship with that I can ask them for things beyond maybe the ordinary things like, hey, I, I need to go to the airport and I need a ride at 3 a.m., but it's in Chicago, right? One of those, one of those kind of things. This is a pretty big ask. Today's story uh, from the Old Testament is a big ask. <clears throat> a big ask from an individual towards God. Over the course of the summer, we are spending some time in some of the more familiar stories of the, the Old Testament. And as we enter into the story of God, we're shown in some ways, what it means to be in relationship with the creator of all things. At the center of that relationship uh, is a practice that we would describe as, as prayer or as praying. Thousands of books and thousands of sermons have been given on the topic of, of prayer. But today's story from Joshua chapter 10 is, is very specific. It is a plea for the miraculous. I mean, the Bible itself is filled with the supernatural, with, with miracles. It would be easy for us in our logical, rational minds to regulate the miraculous to another time. Very easy to be skeptical, maybe even uncomfortable, forgetting that the very foundation of our faith is centered on a man who rose from the dead. So what does it mean then for us as people of faith? What does it mean to live in the miraculous? I mean, there are moments in which we reach the end of ourselves, where we say, I, I can't do this on my own. My natural resources are not sufficient. I need something a bit more from God. Today's story in Joshua chapter 10 is a story of a man and a nation, really, who have come to the end of themselves. Now, to put this into context, we need to consider Joshua chapters 1 through 10, verse 12. And so I'm going to attempt to summarize these nine chapters in about three minutes. So give me a little bit of grace as I make this attempt. Joshua chapter 1 begins with the death of Moses. 
Moses, the man who led the people out of slavery in Egypt. Moses, who led the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. That Moses is now dead, and his leadership is going to be transferred to a young, untested man named Joshua. Joshua is described as Moses' aide or his, his secretary. He will now lead the nation of Israel from the desert into the promised land, a land described as prosperous, flowing with milk and honey. So we come to Joshua chapter 2, and and Joshua sends a couple of spies to check out the land they're about to inhabit. The spies come back, give a favorable report, and so Joshua begins to lead the nation of Israel across the Jordan River, and as they enter into the promised land, they encounter groups of people that do not want them there. The first group of people they encounter is in a city called Jericho. As they arrive at Jericho, God tells Joshua that he's going to to take the city, but the inhabitants have kind of fortified themselves within the city walls. Now, in ancient warfare, the thing to do would be to lay siege to the city and kind of flush them out, but that's not what happens. God asks Joshua and the nation of Israel to do something fairly well, fairly uncommon. He says to them, I want you to march around the city six times. But the army is not going to lead the procession. I want you to send in the band. I want you, I want you to send in the marching band. And they're going to march around the city for six days. And on the seventh day, they're going to blow trumpets. You're going to shout and the walls are going to come down. You're going to take the city. And that's exactly what happens. And they move to the next city, which is called Ai. Now, at this point, they encounter a group of people called the Gibeonites. Now, now the Gibeonites realize they cannot stand against Joshua and Israel. So the Gibeonites trick Joshua and Israel into making a covenant with them. If you want the details of the story, you can go back and read it in Joshua chapter 1. I, Joshua chapter 5, I encourage you to do so. So Joshua makes a treaty with with the Gibeonites. When this happens, the king of Jerusalem hears about it and feels as though the Gibeonites have become traitors. And so he makes an alliance with the other four kingdoms in this land and they come against the Gibeonites to punish them for their treacherous act of aligning themselves with the nation of Israel. Now, the Gibeonites, because they've made a covenant with Joshua and Israel, ask Joshua for help. So Joshua and his army marches all night, and he comes to their aid. As the battle progresses, Joshua is clearly outnumbered, and so he needs divine assistance. In Joshua chapter 10, we first read that God starts to hurl large hailstones from the sky at these armies that are attacking Israel. But then we come to Joshua chapter 10, verse 12, and and Joshua, in need of a miracle, prays a very bold prayer. Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, 
and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. In this moment, Joshua was in need of a miracle and he prayed an audacious, bold, supernatural type prayer. It seems like an odd prayer to us in our Western rational mind, but if you stop and pause for a moment, you realize that we pray these kinds of prayers all the time. I want to take you back to January 2nd, 2023. On that Sunday evening, the Buffalo Bills, America's team, red, white, and blue, played the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati. Nine minutes into the game, a young player on the Bills was struck in the chest, suffered cardiac arrest, and collapsed on the field. It was surreal as I watched it. It had never happened on live TV, not like not like that. No one knew what to do. The commentators did not know what to do. There was silence in the stadium. The, the jumbotrons read, this game has been temporarily suspended as the medical personnel worked on Damar Hamlin trying to revive him from his cardiac arrest. What you noticed on the television screen, and no one seemed shy about it, was that the entire Buffalo Bills team was kneeling together in prayer, praying for this young man on the field. The sports commentators said things like, we don't know what else to do right now, but pray. In that moment, it seemed as though the nation, in many ways, was praying for a miracle. Over the coming weeks, there were graphics on billboards with Damar Hamlin's jersey number three in the phrase, pray for Damar. It was, it was everywhere. And it seemed as though America's prayers were answered when he made a miraculous recovery and was cleared to once again play professional football. It was one of those oddly unifying moments in sports. You see, when something like that happens, there is something activated in the most agnostic of us that makes us want to pray. In a recent Pew survey, 77% of Americans stated that they prayed at least once a month. Most Most of us find ourselves in places and in moments in which the only thing that we know to do is reach out to God. We refer to that reaching out to God as prayer. All the ways that we communicate with the divine, with the almighty. The, the act of prayer frames our faith. Now, most of the time, we pray these routine, seemingly mundane prayers. We bless our food before dinner. 
Growing up, I spent Sunday afternoon at my grandmother's house, and before we dug into our pasta, we always prayed, bless us, O Lord, in these thy gifts which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. Every Sunday, that was our prayer. We pray when we have to make a big decision. Should I take that job? Should I retire? What school should my child go to? Which course of medical treatment should I pursue? We, we pray when we, we travel and go on vacation. We get in the car with our family and we pray, Lord, give us a safe trip as we cra- travel across the country and please help me not to have road rage this time. <laughs> but sometimes, sometimes we pray bold prayers. Bold prayers in which we dare to ask God for the impossible. Bold prayers in which we ask for the sun to stand still. Bold prayers in which we ask God to revive a young man who had cardiac arrest on a football field. So see, in this story, Joshua makes an impossible request of God. Now, as we read this story, I think there's a, a couple of mistakes that we, we make when we consider the words. Uh, the, the, the first mistake that we make in, in reading this story is that we, we often focus on the miracle rather than the miracle giver. So, see, in the Bible, the focus is always on God. And in this story, the, the nature of the miracle is not central. What's central in this story is a God who answers prayers. A God who hears his people. The, the second mistake that we make when considering this story is we fail to understand the ancient text and the context of this very ancient world. See, when, when, when Joshua prayed for the sun to stand still, there are lots of theories about what actually happened. Now, if, if the sun literally stood still, then what Joshua actually prayed for was that the earth would stop rotating because that's the only way that the sun could stand still. Most interpretations say that as Joshua's prayer takes place, that the daylight is waning and he feels that maybe with just a little bit of extra daylight he can finish off the enemy. However, when you consider the actual words of the story, what you notice is that the passage explicitly notes that the sun is over Gibeon and the moon is over the valley of Ajalon. If you look at a Bible atlas, what you discover is that Gibeon is in the east and Ajalon's in the west. Therefore, because of the position of the sun, Joshua was actually praying in the morning, not the evening. So that's so why would he need more sunlight if he's got the whole day ahead of him? Unless, of course, he was praying that the sun would not rise so they could fight under the, the cloak of darkness. We also have to consider the language that Joshua used. The phrase sun stands still in the Hebrew language quite literally means sun stand silent or sun be silent. So is it possible that Joshua was asking for the sun to stop shining? Maybe. We also have to consider the ideal that this passage operates in a world of omens, not just the world of physics and astronomy. We have to consider the possibility that the correct interpretation of this passage is that Joshua was praying that the Amorites would see a bad omen in the sky and be afraid, and it would go something like this. If the sun is in the east and the moon is in the west, we can conclude that not only is it morning, but it's also morning at the time of the full moon. 
On the first official day of the full moon, the orb of the sun is fully visible above the eastern horizon line and the orb of the moon is fully above the western horizon line for about four minutes. When you consider and explore the ancient celestial omen text, you find that this is one of the most important times of the month for receiving significant celestial omens. And on and on and on the theories and interpretations go, and we can lose sight of what's actually important, which is the giver of the miracle rather than the miracle itself. See, we lose sight that bold prayers do not dismiss the miraculous. I mean, isn't all of faith miraculous by nature anyway? And so bold prayers are just a demonstration of that faith. I've come to believe that that miracles live at the apex of bold prayers. When I speak them, I'm aligning myself with God's spirit. When I speak bold prayers, it seems as though heaven and earth come a bit closer together, much like when Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now you might think, well, Mike, that's, that's fine. But is that how it really works in our world today? Doesn't, doesn't God help those who help themselves? Which ironically isn't even in the Bible. That comes from you, chapter 1, verse 1. And we just kind of make that up. I, I've come to believe that, 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 that God helps those who have come to the end of themselves. But there's an act that must accompany bold prayers, and that is the act of uninhibited trust. Because what do you do when you pray a sun-stand-still kind of prayer and it doesn't? Oh, it's easy to trust God when his way and my way align, but what happens when they don't? I mean, the writer of the book of Proverbs says, you you probably know it, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And yet there are moments and there are times in which I find it difficult to trust God. Maybe you've been there. For the next few moments, I want us to move from the Old Testament into the New Testament. I want us to spend a moment at the end of Jesus' life as he hung on the cross because Jesus' last words as he hung on the cross help us understand what it is God is looking for from us. Luke chapter 23, verse 46, then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Jesus' last action and Jesus' last words were words of uninhibited trust. Father, I trust you. Into your hands, I entrust my spirit. So what do we do when we find ourselves in a place of needing to trust beyond knowing, comprehending, or understanding? I wonder, have you ever had a moment in which you said to God, God, why did you let that happen? God, where were you? Why? 
I mean, that, that, that really is a statement of mistrust. But there's no judgment because I've said those words. Which now begs the question, who then are we going to trust? We're by nature wired to trust somebody, something. So am I going to trust myself, my gut, trust my emotions? And I don't know, I don't trust half the things I tell myself. So what? I don't know what to do with that. Am I going to trust the media? There's a great place to put our trust. They always tell the truth. Am I going to put my trust in a person? I mean, I mean, maybe many people. I think many people are trustworthy. I, I think I'm fairly trustworthy, but I also know that I will eventually disappoint you because I'm human. And so, the only place I really know to put my trust is in in my Creator, in God. The psalmist writes, "For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything." That he does. I can trust everything he does because I, I believe that God handles things in the background that I'm not even aware are happening. A few weeks ago, our, our family went on vacation. It was overseas uh, to a different country. And if you've ever traveled internationally, you know that there's all this, all these things you have to do in order to travel internationally. So when you check in on the airline, I had to upload all our passport information and I had to download this health questionnaire for the country we were going to and there was this e-ticket that this country required and there was all this stuff that was happening and so I did it for myself, for my wife, for my kids. They didn't even know it was happening. They didn't even know I did it. They, they just got to the airport, handed the agent their ticket and passport and got on the plane and took their seat. That's what they knew. But what I knew is I just spent two hours uploading all this stuff and then I screwed up once and I had to redo it. And it was all this. They knew nothing about it. They just knew, it. get on the plane. But they could get on the plane because someone was working in the background on their behalf. God is always working. And sometimes we don't see it. God's hands are big enough to encompass the entirety of your life. So Psalm 24 says his hands are, are big enough to have the whole world. The whole world are in his hands. Maybe we should write a song about that. Right. When my son Ryan was three or four years old, took him swimming. He loved to be in the water. Um, but one day he was on the, on the edge of the pool and I was in the water and I was like, all right, buddy, come on, jump. And so he was hesitant. He was like, didn't have his water wings on. And he was just, can I trust my dad? And he would stop and he would, I'd say, come on, buddy, you can jump. Finally, he jumped into the pool and I grabbed him on my arms. And when he knew it was safe and he wasn't going to drown, then it was a never ending. Get out of the pool, jump. Get out of the pool, jump. Get out of the pool. Because he, he had an uninhibited trust of his daddy. He knew I was not going to let him drown. As a teenager, I jumped into the arms of my heavenly father. 32 years later, I still trust him without reservation. Oh, there have been moments in which it was hard. There have been moments in which I've had questions and 
There have been moments of of doubt, but for 32 years, I just keep jumping into the arms of my father because I trust that he's not going to let me drown. Oh, I might get water in my eyes, might get wet, I might go under for a minute, but he will never let me drown. I realize that sometimes our prayers, our big prayers, are not answered in the way that we would hope. And when that happens, it is easy to have anger or dismiss God. But the challenge today is the challenge to trust what we do not understand and sometimes can't even see. And so I, I hope this week that you won't be afraid to pray bold prayers. I know there are many of you that have prayed bold prayers and God has answered miraculously. There have been a handful of times in my life where I prayed big, bold, seemingly impossible prayers and God came through in a way so unexpected, so miraculous that I could say only, only God could do that. There are those moments and when you experience that, may you rejoice and deepen your faith. So pray bold prayers. Ask God for exactly what you want. Take out your connection card if you want. Write a bold prayer on that connection card. We'll pray with you. But also, also remember to trust the miracle giver more than the miracle itself. To to trust the person more than the outcome. Maybe tomorrow morning when you wake up, before you even start your day, before you pray anything else, say, say, God, God, I trust you. God, I trust you with my prayers. I trust you with my life. Even when I don't understand, because I know you're always working, even if it's in the background. So this morning, God, I I, I pray. I pray for every individual sitting in this room, every individual watching online. There are some here that have prayed bold prayers and you have answered in miraculous ways. And and for that, I rejoice. May our faith be encouraged and deepened because of it. There are others that are here today and joining us online that are asking for, for a miracle right now. Bold prayers are being prayed. And so I stand with them and say, Lord, would you answer? Would you give us a sun standstill kind of moment? And for others, I I know there are some that have prayed bold prayers and they have not been answered in the way expected. And so I would ask for, for mercy in the midst of disappointment, maybe even anger, and that you would help us to rekindle a trust in a God who will not let us drown. May we say unapologetically, oh God, we trust you. Amen.